Hello there. Hello there. Welcome back to the Sift Takers Snapshots podcast. My name is Bob D, and in this show, we're going to be looking at the second part of our consideration of X-Wing, second edition, one year on. And with me for this show are Richard Polly. Hello there. Uh, and Adam Tudor. Hello there. So in this show, we're going to focus more on some of the detailed changes in 2.0, in particular, some of the things that, that really change the game mechanics. But practically speaking... We've seen the change from points printed on cards to points on the available on the terrible app. And until last week, I was not a fan. What's your take, Adam? I think from a design perspective, it's a good choice. I think the issues come in. Um, the, the, the developers need to be disciplined about how they use this power because namely the power obviously is that you can now alter the points there's no more sort of uh, a base jump master being 25 points way too cheap how did they ever get to there well it's like that now you can't change anything um they, they now have power to jump in and say no that they, they got this wrong up it um my issue would be that i don't think they have been disciplined with it okay in what in what way anything specific well a few things that they so there's been a few emergency changes, um, namely I think the biggest one that springs to mind for me was the Upsilon change. Now they clearly never intended that you could put three enormous Upsilons on the table and start them all with a focus evade um, halfway up the table. But the fact that it then they then had the power to just jump in and say, actually just before a major tournament we don't want to see this, please don't. Yeah, um, but isn't that good news? I mean, it was a pretty grim list of face and there were ways around it and things you could do to deal with that. But actually, in terms of the developers taking a, a responsible attitude towards where the game was and what they could do, I, I quite like that in terms of point. I mean, the app is terrible. There's no getting away from that. It is terrible. Uh, and the idea of making it web-based is pretty awful and all the rest of it. But actually, the the idea of being able to change points on the fly feels good to me. I think that the app itself and the, the changeability of points has basically led to a really good state for the game. Um, so because they can change points and because they often do change points, as well as the new releases, um, you get this constant flux in the meta. So we have not yet had one of those terrible three months periods where literally everybody flies the same thing. Um, and I think that is a direct result of the ability for the, de the devs to just change points as they need to. Um, so, you know, we're seeing an awful lot of bobble with Han Gunner um, up, up, up. And all of a sudden that doesn't appear anymore and something different turns up. Um, you know, we're seeing four ship rebels with Leia everywhere. Up goes Leia by a few points. Up goes everything in that list by a few points. You know, those points changes covered at length. But basically the, the developers are clearly not looking to balance the game. And that's not what they're changing the points for. They're changing the points so that you see um, a fluctuating meta, so uh, a meta game, so that people are bringing different ships, um, so that people are playing different things, so that when you go to a tournament, you don't say, oh, well, I played six games and five of them were against Jumpmasters, or I played six games and five of them were against Tie Swarms. Um, what you do is you go to a tournament and you say, well, I played six games, and in Swiss, the first four games were against random stuff. And then I played two games against kind of more meta lists. But it wasn't until I got into cut that I actually started hitting, you know, the things that are really strong. Um, so I 
I really like it. I think it's brilliant. Um, implementation, obviously, leaves a lot to be desired. Um, but the, the prevalence of third-party apps, for me, just means that I don't have to use the FFG app unless I'm going to an FFG event. Um, so, you know, it, it doesn't impact on my life. And one of the, the big bugbears of, of 1.0 was push the limit, which was just the best elite pilot talent. And if you could, you stapled it onto your ship. There was just no getting away from it. Take an action, take a stress, take another action, do a green move. And it was absolutely everywhere. And obviously, we don't have Push the Limit in second edition anymore. But what we do have is linked actions. Adam, do you think the linked action thing is, is working for most ships? Do you think it's well implemented? I think um, linked actions are brilliant on the ships that have got them. And that seems like a very obvious thing to say. But for me, um, it's a difficult one because you could get into a state where too many things have them. But several things are ruined because they don't have them. For me, Kyraxes will always struggle to be um, relevant because they can only get a maximum of one action. They can't just focus barrel roll. Unless you invest super heavily in something with coordinate and all the rest of it. But that's taking away somewhat from what you're trying to do with with three four five kiraxes yeah absolutely um taking a taking a shuttle just to give uh, a black sun ace uh, focus and a barrel roll it seems extreme yeah rich what's what do you like about the the linked actions um i think where they've got them right they've got them really right um and where they've got them wrong they've just screwed up because like you know uh, absolutely massive example the e-wing has um a, a linked action that just is a is an absolute non-bow with its ship ability um it you know it really just wants to reposition into a focus it wants to be like the fang fighter um so that it can do those you know ridiculous strafing runs that it is what it really wants to do um you know it, it is still a decent ship but it's a decent ship in spite of not because of its linked actions um, but then if you look at the uh, the new CIS um, ships, I think they're great with the variety that they've put into them um, and quite thematic. So, you know, some of them get barrel roll into target lock, some of them get barrel roll into calculate, some get barrel roll into focus. Um, and I think the later ships, as they've got more comfortable with the design of linked actions, have got a better, um, a, a better linked action um, or a better sequence available to them. Um, where I think when they first came up with the idea, everything was either just, oh, yeah, I guess we'll give you a, a something into something else, and you can be happy with that. Um, I mean, talking about Push the Limit, as as you did, it's it's worth you know shouting out that Poe still has it. He's the only pilot who can link any action into any other action on his action bar, um, which, because it's so good, um, does still surprise me that we don't see more of him at top tables. Um, but, you know... Maybe it's a personal thing. <laughs> yeah, it could be. And and the other ship that is um, rather like uh, Poe is Darth Vader. And the Force users have been super popular. And if you were going to name uh, immediately before Wave 5, what is the meta? You would say Imperial Aces featuring Darth Vader and some other aces. And Jedi lists featuring uh, Obi-Wan, Plo Koon, uh, Anakin, and then if you look even over at the the resistance, uh, it, it Ray is a real thing uh, with some force. 
So force is, is force the new push the limit? Should we all be running to the force ships because they've got built-in soft focus? Yeah, for, force is the easiest way to get double mods on attacks. And it's the easiest way to retain defensive modifications if you get bumped. So, you know, you, you crash into another ship, um, you've got a focus anyway. Um, on two green dice, if you have a 7B, uh, you've still got your two or three force points. Um, you know, the addition of other things um, in wave five um, are going to shift that even more. Um, so there's an awful lot of people who've got abilities that are while you execute, not while you fully execute. So um, Chopper, for example, you stick that on a Jedi, it can get um, two force, or two or three force plus an evade token um, after bumping. Um, and Ahsoka can still give out her coordinate-ish ability, Ahsoka Gunner, um, after bumping as well. So we're seeing power creep towards people being able to generate those modifications even while bumped. And that was something oh. that in version one we saw with like Paratani, um, where it doesn't matter if you bump everybody, they all still get actions anyway. Yeah, it is very similar to Paratani, although the, the ship chassis are, are quite different, I think, in terms of, yeah. of how they fly. Uh, the, the Jedi may be a little bit like Fenrau, but it's a kind of strained analogy. The cost of the Force users, it seems to be that getting one Force roughly adds 14 points to the cost of your ship. Is that too cheap in in the present two meta? Um, no, I think it's about right. Um, but I think that's for crew. The cost for a point of force for a pilot is just seems to be a bit arbitrary. Um, so, you know, you've got people with three force, um, like Mace Obi Wan, who are really cheap. You've got people with three force, like Anakin, who are really expensive. Who's got the I six tax? Um, I think they've got to carefully balance internally within a faction the amount of um, how much things cost to figure out what you can put into a list. Um, so I don't think for pilots there's a direct cost for a force. Um, for crew, so that you can put it on anything, 12 to 14 points, it's a still a big investment in your squad. It's like putting a proton torpedo on something. Um, so you, you do need to think about it if you're just going to add an upgrade and of course, that's the cheaper end of the force cost. You know, resistance layer for one force plus her ability is whatever it is, 19 points or something. So, you know, it's still expensive. And talking of ordnance and the, the proton torpedoes, they were relevant in second edition right from the day of release and they've remained re relevant ever since. Are we liking the way that ordnance is working? I'm, I'm a big fan of seeing it on the table. It's an interesting mechanic to play with and and against adam are you are you enjoying proton torpedoes and that sort of stuff flying off i i do enjoy ordnance i think it, it's been done really well in second edition it, it was so largely ignored in in first edition and simply with the change obviously at the end of first edition we saw it trialed with harpoon missiles and they went off soaringly um literally just the change to uh, make it need a target lock in most cases, but not use the target lock before in, in order to shoot. Really, just changes their effectiveness, and and I do like it because it's it's thematic to the to Star Wars, right? And and that's why most of us are here to to be Star Wars nerds, and you want to shoot proton torpedoes at things and and have them actually do something and not feel uh, well. That was a bit of a wasted that was a bit of a wasted slot in the list. Um, 
but yeah, I, I really do like seeing them everywhere, and and I like lists um, like the uh, triple taps being around with a shuttle. I, I quite like that that list is around now. Yeah, who knew that concussion missiles were going to be an answer to an Inquisitor's problem? And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, they've they've become super popular really quickly. And for me, I that mean, shows I'm... that there's a, there's a lot of hidden stuff still in 2.0 that people haven't discovered yet, and there must be more room to work stuff out like that. And and that comes back to dice modification as much as anything else. You you can fix particular problems with dice modification by using some of these mechanics. And I think possibly one of my favourite changes in 2.0 is the way that evade tokens now do not add an evade dice. They simply allow you to change one of your dice to an evade. Rick, is that is, is that a mechanic you've been taking advantage of? Yeah, um, I like it. Um, I think it forces the game into a into a state of completion uh, where previously with old auto thrusters turning a blank um, plus um, uh, potentially um, an Emperor of Palpatine plus um, a focus on an evade token, you, you basically had to roll um, four hits on four dice to try and push a damage through on on something that had that token stack. Um, just because you could add, um, I used to play intensity pull with BB-8, and that was you know focus evade plus auto thrusters at range three every turn. Um, so you know people couldn't damage you, um, so it was just you know it was a bit daft. Um, I think it's a it's a really good thing, and it means that they can do clever stuff that subverts it. So the um, the Naboo Handmaiden, which we haven't seen a lot of, probably because it's a very expensive ship to take um, for an I-1 with an ability. But the Naboo Handmaiden gives the ability to to add an evade token if the person it's protecting is also a Naboo Starfighter. Um, and that kind of cool, super thematic stuff wouldn't be available or wouldn't be possible, sorry, I should say, um, if just an evade token was still working uh, the old way. Um, and let's be honest, having an evade token is still really good, um, even though it doesn't add an evade. You know, it, it guarantees you one, um, which is often enough to save you rather than wishing for a focus or wishing for a wiggle. So, yeah, I love it. I think it's great. And they've saved the aces from being just picked on by turrets, by those massive turret changes. Th mm -hmm. Those have worked really well for me. The, the idea that you need to be using an action to move your arc in most cases is a very effective penalty. And it also enables arc dodging to work around aces in most cases. I mean, obviously, if somebody's mad enough to take Luke Gunner, then, then they can fix that. But in general, you've, you've got an arc, dodgy, an arc dodgeable turret ship. You can get out of the way and, and not get shot, which is, is a brilliant change for me. Yeah, I agree. You can, they're really predictable. They're battleshipping now all the time. Those turrets are just skirting the edge of the board to keep their, their turrets pointing in. Um, if you point your turret front back, then you're leaving massive gaps in your flanks that people can jump into. Um, and it, it really adds to the counterplay, which I think is great. And the result of that has been that we've seen a lot less of those large bases. I mean, the, the people have given the Imperial Shuttles play as a support ship. Um, people are using Falcons, but they're, with a couple of exceptions, they're not really dominating. Uh, Bob is seeing some play on a medium base, but in general, it has become a small ship game, hasn't it? Yeah, I think so. I mean, certainly if you look around the tables, you do see Falcons. You always see Falcons because it's such a, an iconic and thematic ship. Um, 
and you do see the odd um, Lancer, um, but maybe that's just in our local meta. You know, there's people giving Ketsu a run out at the moment. Um, but, you know, I think you're right. Apart from the um, the Gendon um, support ship, um, which when you talk to people when they play it, they say, oh, yeah, if I get one shot off Gendon, that's that's all I expect. Everything else is he's there to give people target locks on turn one. And apart from that, he's just, you know, maybe he's carrying palp round for a few turns until he dies. He's there to attract fire off your off your weaker ship. So, yeah, it's a, it, it is a small it's a small ship game. And where there are big ships, they're supporting those small ships, I think. I think the changes to, to turrets have really turned the game into the sort of X-Wing on TIE Fighter dogfight game that the developers really wanted it to be. I don't think that they were... I wouldn't say they were unhappy, but I don't think they were tr- ever truly happy with the dominance of um, turrets in in whatever form they may have been, um, whether it was uh, you know Fat Hand for ages or, or Dengar a lot of the time. But I think they really wanted it to be the sort of clever game of of you know which way is my opponent going to go? How am I going to react to that? Can I get shots on? All those sorts of things that having a small base with a forward point and gun brings versus just i'm going to go around this rock this way and shoot in any direction so i i guess i'll just boost um which 1.0 did devolve into sometimes and these days if you do want a ship with loads of time on target take an untax i mean that thing can can just have its arc pointing at whatever it needs to all the time it's it's amazing but anyway, Nantex is Nantex chat for another show. And talking of big bases, uh, producer Tim and I are just back from the wonderful IQ Games in Huddersfield. That was a twenty-something man uh, event that we uh, we played in at the weekend. And I want to give a big shout to Kester Smith, who won it with a Decimator and a Phantom. Uh, he was running Whisper. Uh, list available on Tabletop TO if you go and dig them out. Uh, but well done to him. Uh, a big win. Bearing in mind, we're banging on about how terrible the big ships are. So and a two with ship that, list as well. And a two-ship list as well, yeah, yeah. Uh, we so know? with that... Go on, boys. Are we, Sorry. Are we done? Yeah, yes. okay. okay. And with that, it's goodbye from Rich Polly. Goodbye. And goodbye from Adam Tudor. Goodbye. And goodbye from me, Bob D. Ta-da. Thanks for listening. This was your mistake.